morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome to today. This is the beginning of a brand new message series from Nehemiah. It's entitled Rebuild. That's a, a timely series. It's a timely part of scripture with Nehemiah as we're going to be jumping into verse by verse, chapter by chapter through a, a powerful book. This idea of rebuilding, refreshing, renewing. Knowing that God has got more in store. So if you've got your copy of the Word of God, or if you've got a digital copy of that, go ahead and make your way to Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's give you just a little bit of a brief review. So Nehemiah is one of those Old Testament books. You've got Genesis, where the, the Bible begins, and the creation of the world. And you've got Adam and Eve, and Noah and Abraham. We end with Joseph, if you remember. He was in, enslaved, eventually ended up in Egypt, right? So he is in Egypt. His family comes to escape the famine. God was blessing and elevating him to leadership. And then his family would be called the Israelites. They would grow and grow and grow and be enslaved. The second book of the Bible is Exodus. God removed the Israelites from Egypt, removed them from slavery, and then they were wandering in the wilderness for a while. God prepared the promised land for them, placed them in this new land. And while there, they decided they wanted a king. You had King Saul. You had King David. You had King Solomon, David's son. And under Solomon's rule and reign, Israel was then divided into two sections. You had Israel, which was 10 out of the 12 tribes. Judah was the southern part, the final two tribes. And so they were split, they were separated, and they were living against and rejecting God. Because of their disobedience, God then allowed other nations to come in and to conquer them. In uh, uh, about 586, 587 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army captured Judah. Jerusalem was destroyed, the walls were knocked down, the temple was burned, people were deported back into slavery. And so we see people not really following, not following, uh, following after what God was desiring for them. Now, in the original Hebrew here, Ezra and Nehemiah were one continual book. We've got them separated in our English Bibles. Ezra, the priest, led the early return to Israel to restore worship in the rebuilt temple. Unfortunately, again, people refusing to respond to the sin that was in their life. God's people continued to adopt practices of a lot of the nations around them, the culture of the nations around them. And so when it comes to the politics, the social, the spiritual conditions, it was not very good. That's about where we get to in Nehemiah. We're going to find someone in Persia about a thousand miles away from Jerusalem, about a thousand miles away from where God's people were to be. We meet this man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. And late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and, and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So first couple of verses here, we, we get just a little bit of a background. Nehemiah is serving the king 
He's about a thousand miles away from Jerusalem, but some of the friends and individuals had come. He's asking how things are going. And in just a moment, we're going to see the details of how things are going. But today, chapter 1, we're going to kind of look at this thought or this title. Today is a foundation for the future. So whether you're looking at kind of rebuilding or refreshing and allowing God to do something in your own heart and life or family or as a church, as, as we begin to see God continue to bless and guide and direct, I believe we're going to see some principles about how to have a foundation for our future. Author and pastor O.S. Hawkins writes this, it's never too late for a new beginning. You ever wished you could have maybe a new beginning? Certainly, Jesus offers that in salvation, but perhaps in life or in family or in home or in school or in the job. Boy, if we could just rebuild or redo or refresh, what would that new beginning look like? So chapter 1 is going to give us a handful of principles on how to have that solid foundation for our future. So we're going to work our way through the chapter. And I think the first principle that we see is this. You and I must be honest about our reality. Take a look at verse 3. Nehemiah is asking him, what are things like? His friend and, and these other individuals who were uh, with him, who had come from Judah, he says, what are the conditions? What are things like? And here's the response in verse 3. They said to me, things are not going well. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, you and I, when we meet people, how many times don't you say something like this? How are you doing? How's it going? I mean, doesn't that tend to be the automatic first statement or sentence you say to someone? And typically, nine times out of ten, maybe 98, uh, 99 times out of 100, what do we hear back? Doing good, doing fine, yeah. How are you doing? Oh, good, good. In other words, you've got to say those statements to feel like you can now say what you want to say, which is something else. That kind of tends to be us. How are you doing? Oh, fine. How are you doing? I'm good. That's not exactly what took place here with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is saying, what's Jerusalem like? What's the land like? What are the, the place where you know, our heritage is like? And he starts out, and he hears, you know, things are not going well. They're, they're kind of easing him in, right? Things are not going well for those who have returned. There were a number of individuals who were allowed to return back to the land, but for those who did, they were not going well. Then they said, well, they're in great trouble. So they're not going well. They're in great trouble. And then he says they're in great trouble and disgrace. That's a little, little deeper. And then he says the wall's been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. What he heard back wasn't the sugar-coated, things are good, things are fine. How are you doing, Nehemiah? They were honest about the reality. The honest answer was, Things are, are kind of bleak right about now. There's no walls. There's no gates. There are some people who are back, but there's not a lot of safety. There's not a lot of security here. They're pretty vulnerable to the enemy if you don't have the wall and you don't have your gates. I mean, it's, it's worse than okay. There, there's people there, but there's, there's a lot of work to do. 
So whether it's individually or in our home or in, in our church setting, understand and recognize what is reality. Where are things at? Don't try to deny the problem or gloss over issues, but make an honest evaluation of things. If you're wanting to grow personally, wanting to grow in your family, understand where things are right now. Listen, I am thankful as a church, the honest reality is this church has been around for many years and has done an incredible blessing in reaching people. There's been a lot of faithful ministry that's taken place throughout our church over the years. And as we take a look back, there's been various seasons over the years. Even, even in the ministry, as we've been here, we've seen some seasons. We've, we've seen some season of God's blessing. We have had a season as we've grown, as we've uh, had some other families and children. We've, we've added some different things in our children's ministries over the years, uh, adding a nursery and adding a toddler church to go with the kids' church and, and various different things as we've seen God's hand of blessing. We've also had a, a season, you might call it a, a season of plateau, and as well, our last number of years, very honestly, if we're looking at honest about our reality, you and I would see we've had some challenges. Numerically, financially, we've had some challenges. And so we've certainly seen there have been individuals or families over our last number of years where some maybe have left and gone to another place where there were other things, maybe more things that were happening than we were able to offer. Some maybe moved back home or moved to another location. Uh, others, perhaps there were some challenging situations in their home, maybe some relational things and, and uh, ended up not coming back. We've had a variety of things. When numbers go down, then the challenges for finances are there as well. And so certainly over our last number of years, we've been open and honest. We've shared with you where things are at, and, and we've made appropriate cuts a, across a, a lot of different uh, uh, factors and settings so that we can continue meeting the needs of what we're needing to do. But the honest reality is there have been some challenges. Being honest about our reality. This, this year, I felt kind of led and impressed of God, the, the assemblies of God here in Ohio, I was offering what they called an Acts 2 journey. John Musgrave, one of our network leaders, was heading this up. And so I talked with our board about signing up for this. And we recruited a handful of kind of a cross-section of some different people from our church to be what's a part of this Acts 2 journey team or a vision team. And, and we met a number of different times over the course of the first half of the year. I kind of heard some teaching and, and walk us through some different exercises. And, and that's a little bit about what this first thought is, being honest about our reality, taking a, a handful of assessments. Where do we see ourselves? Where is Alger Assembly of God? The heart is, the goal is, the desire is, we want to reach more people for Jesus. But where are we right now? And the honest reality is, there's been some challenges, but we know, we trust, we believe that God has more in store to help us rebuild, to help us renew, to help us refresh but what Nehemiah's first step was is, is the challenging thing for us. It's to be honest about our reality. We faced challenges. But I know and I believe that God has got more in store. Not only was Nehemiah honest about the reality and his friends were honest with him, but second, I think a second principle for you and I as a church, as an individual, as a family, is to get broken for the needs 
around us. Check out verse 4. Nehemiah hears about the walls. He hears about the gates. He hears that things are not going well. There's some challenges there. And verse 4, it says, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Here's a, a challenging question for you and I. When's the last time we were truly broken, our heart was truly broken for people around us who did not know Jesus? Listen, our hearts are breaking not because there's fewer numbers, not because there's fewer dollars coming in to try to send around to different ministries. Our hearts should be broken because there's a lot of people that need Jesus. Listen, we are in a small community. Alger around 900-ish. But there's still hundreds of people in Alger who don't know Jesus. Hundreds to thousands in Ada, hundreds in McGuffey and Herod and Dunkirk and Dola, over to Kenton, over to Lima. Think about, though we're a, a small county, Hardin County, about 32,000 or so, there are thousands of people in our immediate vicinity who do not know Jesus. That's what our heart should be breaking about. Yes, we're going through some challenges, and, and God is helping us through each of these different needs. God has blessed and helped us. Even we've shared through the, the challenge of COVID, we added missionaries. We, didn't, we cut in a number of categories, but not our missions, not our missionaries. In fact, we added during COVID. But when it comes to looking at the needs around us, check out what Nehemiah did. It says he sat down, he wept, mourned, fasted, and prayed. That's a, a good example for us to follow. You know, when someone says, hey, sit down. Typically, when you sit down, you're kind of getting ready. You're getting prepared for something. He sat down. He was weeping. He fasted. He prayed. He mourned. Nehemiah's heart was broken for these people. This, this was the people of Israel. This was the land that God had blessed, that God had given. And these walls are torn down. The gates were burned and things were challenging there. Does your heart, does my heart, do we have a burden for the lost? The neighbors down our street, the people in our community, uh, the, take a look around. We represent a lot of different neighborhoods, a lot of different communities, cities, and villages, even amongst our church. Does our heart break for the needs of the people around us? That's what Nehemiah is seeing. They were honest about the reality of where things are. Nehemiah then is getting broken for the needs around him. Here's a third principle as we continue in chapter 1. If we're wanting a foundation for our future, then thirdly, we've got to confess our sins to God. I'm going to drop down a few verses to the end of verse 6 and 7. Nehemiah begins a prayer. And don't worry, we'll, we'll get back to that in just a moment. But a portion of his prayer in verse 6 and 7, Nehemiah says... God, I confess we have sinned against you. He's confessing. He says, yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. 
How many of you have sinned? Well, that's a question you don't really like to respond to. I noticed I didn't get a whole lot of answers, so either, man, you're just perfect, or you're just not wanting to be honest. What was step one, be honest about? Okay. We know God's word is true, that we have all sinned. But Nehemiah is saying, listen, God, I've sinned. Our family has sinned. Our, our, our people have sinned, God. We've not done what you've called us to do. We've not followed the commands and decrees and regulations. We've not obeyed you, God. We've done our own thing. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Might sound familiar to you. Certainly sounds familiar to me, whether that's me or our own household or our nation. We tend to go our own way. And we don't follow God's commands. And we don't follow God's instructions. And Nehemiah, part of what he's laying as this foundation for what God's about to do down the future, down the road, is he's saying, God, I've sinned. Our family, we have sinned. Our people as a whole, we have sinned. And God, I'm asking you to cleanse and forgive me. I confess. I'm repenting. I want to turn from my sin, and I want to turn to you. You want God to do something in your life personally, in your family personally, and our church as a whole? Let's confess our sin to God, get right, get clean before him, so God can use us as a clean vessel. Amen? Confess our sins. He confessed with honesty. You know, sometimes when we confess, we, we like to gloss over certain things, and, and we'll confess something that we don't mind confessing, but we don't really want to confess the stuff we don't want people to know about. Sometimes we try to do that with God. We'll, we'll come to God, and, and we'll ask Him to forgive us, and maybe we rattle off a couple of different things that we don't think are that big of a deal, and we completely gloss over some of the sins that we've done, as if God doesn't know about it. Can you and I hide something from God? We can't. Nehemiah knows that. God, I can't hide anything from you. I've sinned. My family have sinned. We have sinned. The people of Israel, your people, have sinned. And God, we confess. What does that look like? That, that doesn't mean we stand up and tell everybody in the church our sin. But you can confess it to God. Sometime today, sometime this week, get before God and say, God, I confess. I know that I've sinned. I know I've done wrong. There's things that I know I shouldn't do, and I've done. God, I confess them to you. There's things I know you've called me to do that I've not done. God, I've sinned. I've lived my own way. Because how many of us like our own way? Like our own way? Am I saying, God, I messed up. I'm repenting. I'm confessing. Confess my sins to God. You've heard the scripture. Well, you've heard the phrase. Maybe you didn't know it was from scripture. Numbers 32, 23 reminds us this. Be sure your sins will. Oh, you know that one. You heard it from your parents now. Let's be honest. Your mom or your dad said this to you growing up. You've probably used it on your own kids or your grandkids. Be sure your sins will find you out. And, and we tell others that. Understand the same thing applies to us. So God, cleanse me. Forgive me. The encouragement here is search me. The psalmist wrote that, Psalm 139 
Verse 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any sinful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The psalmist is saying, God, I open up my heart. I open up my soul to you. Search me. And God, I want to confess. Will you allow the Spirit of God to prompt you and at the conclusion of the service on your own? Not that you stand up and shout out to others, but sometime in our response time, say, God, clean me. God, cleanse me. I confess my sin. I want to be pure. I want to be forgiven so that you can guide and use me as you desire. So we see with Nehemiah, he's being open and honest about the reality of where things are. He's broken for the needs around him. He confesses his sin to God. Fourthly, he prayerfully seeks God's success. So we're going to jump back then and pick up in verse 5. Here's the prayer. He begins to, Lord, in the midst of the prayer is the confession of sins. But here's what he says in verse 5. Nehemiah prays, O Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. And, and then he prays the prayer of confession. Verse 8, he says, Remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you're exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. And then note this. He says, please grant me success today. By making the king favorable to me, put it into his heart to be kind. In this prayer, he is prayerfully seeking God's success. Now, you and I, we want success. We like that word. Who doesn't like or want to be successful? But he's not saying, God, make me awesome. But God, would you grant success? I'm prayerfully seeking you. You're the one that's going to need to work upon the hand of the king. You're the one who's somehow going to have to put it in, into his heart to move or to work. God, you see what's going on in Jerusalem. You see what's taking place there. I pray that you would grant success. He prayerfully seeks God's success. Prayer was a priority to Nehemiah. Now, here in chapter 1, this is the first of 12 different recorded prayers. Take note as you go through the book. Mark it down. Here is the first recorded prayer. It's a priority to Nehemiah. And we're going to see as we jump next week to the beginning of chapter 2, more prayer. We've got to take our needs to God first. Is prayer a last resort or our first option? Only you and I can answer that. Unfortunately, sometimes doesn't it seem, and I think if we're being honest now, we've probably all been guilty of this. A difficulty comes up, a situation comes up, and we will rack our brains trying to find this or this or this or this person or that person. We, we think of everything else to do and kind of as a, well, nothing else worked. Uh, let's, let's pray about that. Nehemiah is showing prayer should be the priority. 
And as much as we as God's people and Christian people know it, boy, don't we struggle doing it at times. And my hand's up there with you. He, he made this the priority. He didn't consult with other people. He's hearing the news. His heart is breaking. And he's saying, God, I've got to take it to you. Before anything else, chapter 2, we're going to see some of the steps. We're going to see some of what God was doing and how God blessed and how provided. But chapter 1, this is the foundation. He's saying, God, my heart's broken about what's taking place. I'm seeking you. You're the one that can grant success. Different ones wrote this about prayer. What is prayer and what does it do? Prayer helps us to wait upon and depend upon God. Anybody need a, a little bit of help slowing down? Prayer can help us wait upon and depend upon God. Prayer helps you distinguish between a good idea and a God idea. We have a whole bunch of ideas. But prayer is going to help us to hear from God. What's the right idea? Is this just something good or is this, this is God behind it? Prayer helps prepare us for the job ahead. You know, we often are praying, and many times our approach to prayer is, God, do this. <clears throat> we want God to, to work, and, and that is a part of prayer. But a big part, prayer helps to prepare us for the job ahead. They wrote this, prayer sharpens our vision and helps us to see from God's perspective. Maybe you've had some thoughts, oh, this seems pretty good to me. This doesn't seem so good to me. Pray. Pray, pray, seek God. God's going to quicken and sharpen and give the right vision and help to see things, not from our perspective, not God, make my will be done, but what's your will? Help me to see from your perspective. Prayer also quiets our hearts, taking away the worry and, and anxieties that we face. Chances are we experience worry. We face anxiety. Prayer. Taking those needs to God helps to still and quiet our heart. Prayer mysteriously moves the hand of God to work behind the scenes. How many of you have seen or experienced that? You pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray some more, and nothing's happening, and you're discouraged, and you're about to give up. And something happens. The breakthrough happens. Prayer mysteriously moves the hand of God to work behind the scenes. And prayer helps us not to miss opportunities that come our way. Praying and praying. I shared the idea of praying, walking around this sanctuary, and the thoughts about God. What are some things that we can do to help move forward in what you're causing us to do to reach some people? And I shared the crazy thought, it seemed like about the flexibility and the opportunity of chairs. And I shared the idea with you. Oh, well, that's a great idea, and they would look nice, and they'd be very functional and help us in flexibility, but God, that is so much money, and we've got some other projects, and we're trying to be cautious, and, 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 but, but, but. But I prayed, and I prayed, and I laughed, and I prayed. Prayer helps us not miss opportunities. I shared with you, I prayed two or three weeks, and then I saw a post about another church offering chairs, an exact color that fits with the carpeting we've already got, strong, sturdy, probably $150 chairs, 
more than enough for us, a color that would fit for us, at an incredible price for us, free. Prayer helps us not miss the opportunities. Now, I was almost so excited I didn't know what to do because I hadn't even told anybody about that. I'd, I'd share it with you. So I hurriedly shared with Kim and, and kind of passed on the leaders. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Well, let's at least check it out. Is it free? Yes. Is it available? Yes. Will they give it to us? Yes. Praying. When you and I are praying, when we're in tune with God, when we're connected with God, when things happen, it, there's just this quickening in our spirit. It was, it was like God instantly brought me back to my chuckle about, yeah, God, but what about this? I instantly felt like Sarah who laughed in the Old Testament. And I laughed. I laughed back at God. God, that's a great one, God. You got me there. But praying helps us to be ready for opportunities. Nehemiah's public life, his, his leading life, was the outflow of his personal life, which was a life of prayer. So that was a big part of this foundation. Chapter 1 is the foundation for the rest of the book, for all of what God's going to do. This is the foundation for you and I, personally, as our family, as a church. Fourth part is prayerfully seeking God's success. Finally, I want to challenge you to start where you are right now. Final words, final phrase, final statement in chapter 11, just the last portion that we did not read yet. He writes this, In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. He was the cupbearer to the king. Now, it's an official job. You and I might look at that and say, Wow, I'm not sure if I would want that. You're going to eat the king's food. You're going to drink the king's drink and make sure that nothing's wrong with that. So if someone keels over dead, it's you, not the king. How many would like to sign up for that job? A little bit of, uh, a little bit of high, high potential there for calamity. But he's in the, in the king's presence. He's got access to the king. High responsibility. I mentioned he was about 1,000 miles away. That's roughly the distance from here to Dallas, Texas. It's about a thousand miles or so. So he's in the palace with the king, about a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. And he simply he said, Hey, I'm, I'm a cupbearer to the king. I'm a thousand miles away, but I'm going to start where I am. Start where we are without excuses. Nehemiah could have had a bunch of excuses. Was Nehemiah a priest, one of the spiritual leaders of Israel? No. Uh, was he of the tribe of Judah? Was he, uh, was he a Levite? Was he a builder by trade? No. He was a cupbearer. Here's the cup, king. Here's your food, king. He's got the ear of the king. He simply said yes, and he started where he was. God's got some great things in store for you individually, for your family, individually, for our church. God's already been doing some things and working. We're simply starting where we are. God, we want to be used. We want to reach more people in Alger, more people in our surrounding community, more people across the world. Can we do everything every other church can? No. But we can start where we are. Little by little, one by one, we can add one more missionary. Little by little, one by one, we can reach a friend, a family member, a neighbor. 
and outreach in Alger at the park, a public place to invite people to, to hear the good news of Jesus. We can start where we are. Don't wait for a, a day down the road, months down the road, years down the road. Well, if all of these pieces come together, maybe I can do something for God. Start where you are. Start with the people you're in school with, people that you're in a job or a workplace with, the people in your family or community. Don't wait. Start where you are. Nehemiah was the right man in the right place. God had his hand upon him to use. I like this quote from Warren Wearsby. It says, when God wants to accomplish a work, he always prepares his workers and puts them in the right places at the right time. So prayerfully pray. Say, God, use me. Place me in the right location to reach my family or community, etc. at the right time. I'm going to start where I am. I might not be able to reach millions, but God, I can reach one. I'm going to reach my family. I'm going to reach my neighbor. I'm going to reach out to somebody in Alger, Ada, McGuffey, Kenton, Lima, Dunkirk, Dola, Herod, etc., Want to build a foundation of the future of what God wants to do in and through you? Let's be honest about our reality. Where are we starting at? Let's get broken for the needs around us. Allow God to help us to see people who need Jesus. Confess our sins to him. Prayerfully seek his success. And be ready to start where we are right now. 